From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 402. Today's show is brought to you by Electric, Capital One, and Trade. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. Happy Monday. Yeah, happy. Happy Monday. Happy New Week. Mm-hmm. Um, spring break is over here. Spring break, over. Okay. Back to school. Over. Got two months of school left before... The last of my children graduates Uh-oh. and exits the local school system. Uh, kind of hard to believe, but we're getting there. And of course, that's WWDC week because it always is. It literally always, all graduations must occur during the developer conference. So it's a rule. I have a hashtag snow talk question for you from Bronze. Who wants to know, Jason, what is your favorite ride at Disneyland? Wow. Uh, when was the last time you went to Disney? We went... On like a couple days before New Year's uh, in like, God, how old were the kids then? I want to say something like 2010. Right. So it's been a while. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that Lauren's parents live um, 15 minutes away. Right. But uh, the, the challenge is usually when we're down there is at the peak times. Sure. It's holidays and things. It's the worst time to go to Disneyland. Uh, but one of these days we'll, we'll make a, an effort of going down there at some random time. And uh, maybe I'll get uh, David Sparks to do, uh, you know, David Sparks just uses it as his office. He just goes to Star yep. Wars and uh, hangs out. There's nobody out. better to tour you around Disneyland than the Sparks yeah. We've had that privilege yeah. twice. I'm going to have to have uh, have David do that because I still haven't seen any of the Star Wars stuff, obviously, because it's been oh, it's 10 so years good. and I haven't been there. Um, my favorite ride at Disneyland, knowing now that I it's been a while since I've been there, is uh, I'm going to say Big Thunder Mountain Railway just okay. because... Um, it's uh, in terms of I'm not a big roller coaster person, but in terms of roller coasters, I really do prefer the big bank side to side action to the up and down. And, and you know, and I, I am not a fan of the upside down at all, sure. but I am a fan of the uh, and the big drops do not please me at all. I find them really unpleasant. But mm-hmm. um, that one's got a really good mixture of sort of like all the, the big banking turn things that are mm-hmm. very exciting. Space Mountain is also great. Um, uh, added benefit being, of course, it is the what if we uh, did the roller coaster while we turned out the lights. That's pretty. It's pretty good. That's, that's pretty a great. Good that's too. a great. That's a great ride. Love it. I um and and you know we'll see. I may actually take medication before I go the next time because sometimes a motion control ride can make me feel queasy. Right. Um, Star Tours. I have had good Star Tours experiences and bad Star Tours experiences. I mean, nothing like like really sick, but like ending up not having as much fun as you might like. Um, and so I'm a little worried about that for uh, for the other motion control stuff that they've got. But they seem to lean quite heavily on that in the more modern rides. So yeah, exactly right. I will exactly recommend right. it for you, for, especially for the yeah. Star well, Wars no, stuff. Well, no, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to take my. Uh, my uh anti vertigo medication before I go to Disneyland and then and then it'll be uh okay. So yeah, anyway, I, I would I've been saying for twenty years, whatever, Big Thunder is my favorite because uh it's uh it's fun. You're it's on a fun. like runaway gold rush thing and it's classic. It's just feels good. Yeah. It's a great ride. I've ridden that a couple of times. And I think the difference between something like that to the more modern rides that they do Really, I think a lot of the more modern rides they they lean on surprise. 
And so once you've right. done it once, it's not the same. Like the first time I did Rise of the Resistance, which is the newer Star Wars ride, it mm-hmm. absolutely blew my mind. The second time, I was like, that was really good, but it just wasn't the same. Right, because you don't have that that, no uh, that moment. I, I have enjoyed, like the Indiana Jones ride is great. That's a family favorite of the Hurley it, family. It is. It is. It is really good. Um, it, it same thing, right? Also, the last time we went, they had a lot of technical problems, so mm. we we were on that ride for quite a while because at several points it uh, stopped. Oh dear! <laughs> and it was fine because we weren't on so long that we were miserable. And there's lots to see, but it yeah. did. We did have the thing. It actually stopped. You know, there's that place where you see Indiana Jones dangling. Yeah. Above you, well, <laughs> he was there a long time, Mike. <laughs> Man, he was really got that that upper body strength. That's old indeed. Yeah, he's holding on uh, tight. So anyway, uh, but Disneyland's fun, and I uh, wish uh, Lauren took the kids a, a few more times. So the kids have been uh, a lot more than I have in the in, during their lifetime. But I would like to go back there at some point. It's just a matter of of. You know, it's a funny thing of having the having the family right there. You mm-hmm. don't ever make a point of going to Disneyland, and as a result, you never go to Disneyland. Um, and we just have to, you know, basically we need to say we're going to take some time off midweek sometime and just yeah. fly down and go to Disneyland. Um, and the good news is our hotel is covered because you know we have a place to stay, but we just have to have to make that effort. Maybe uh, maybe this summer. I mean, summer is always busy at Disneyland, but maybe we'll do it. Who knows. If you would like to send in a question to help us open an episode of Upgrade, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk or use question mark SnellTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. And uh, and just a shout out to Casey Liss. Uh, no questions about my favorite anything at Walt Disney World because I've never been to Same. Orlando. Mm-hmm. Jason and I have returned to the warm, loving embrace of Dongletown. Dongletown is eternal. I'm back it's in Dongletown. Uh, so, yes. Uh, this is after talking about my uh, frustrations, maybe, or like just some of my experience with the studio display and the Logitech unifying receiver for their mouse. So M. Ellis wrote in to say they had a better experience with their Logitech mouse after plugging the unifying receiver directly into the studio display with the use of a USB-C to A dongle. I think they were having similar issues to me when using a dock, that it was unresponsive, like it was basically felt like... I think the easiest way to describe it is kind of like it was skipping frames in a way. Like I would move the mouse and it would only move, say, three quarters of the way that I would expect it to move. Uh, so some kind of interference. So uh, I think on Stephen's recommendation, I ordered these little, like just a very small USB-C to USB-A adapter. I found them on Amazon. Just like they were highly rated by a co- like a lot of this stuff on Amazon from a company I have never heard of called Nonda. Right, you get these little weird things on Amazon. I have. But. It's funny. I have those, if not from that company, because it's a programmatically generated random company name. But I have. Uh, looking at what you bought, I have those. I absolutely bought yeah. the two pack of the USB C to USB A little tiny things mm-hmm. that you stick in, and it's. I mean, is it a dongle if it doesn't dangle? <laughs> it just. It's like an inline adapter kind of thing. It's still a dongle. It's still a dongle. It's like, just not a dangling dongle. It's just not a dangle dongle. It's a regular dongle. Okay. Uh, so I now have, because it's coming in a two pack, right? I only wanted it for uh, a unifying yeah. receiver. But then I had a second one. And I thought, hang on a minute. I then looked at my CalDigit dock. And at that point, 
I had just one thing attached to it, which was my keyboard cable. Because the mm-hmm. cable that I have for my keyboard is USB A to C. Because there can be weird stuff with USB C to C cables and, and the way they work with keyboards. It's like a whole thing I won't bother getting into, but it can mm. be unreliable. So then I was like, oh, let me plug that directly in too. And then I realized I no longer need my CalDigit Thunderbolt dock. And the thing that has changed is the new MacBook Pro has basically all of the ports on it that I would ever need except USB-A, right? So that's been the difference. Yeah. So now I'm back to dongle life, but with no more dock, and I just have uh, my Thunderbolt cable, right, going from the MacBook Pro straight into the display, and then I'm using two of the USB-C ports with these little dongles in them for the two USB-A things going into it. And I'm really happy because now my desk is even more uh, empty than it was before, so it's great. You know uh, what has USB-A ports on it, Mike? The Mac Studio. The Mac Studio? Yeah, but uh, I don't need a Mac Studio. (laughs) I don't need that. I know. Uh, Plus, it's impossible for me to get one even if I wanted one. I do have USB-A going into the Mac Studio here, Mm -hmm. too. So it's all under the desk. So all those cables are under the desk. My keyboard and my stream deck and all that, they are plugged in under the desk. Um, uh, I have a a USB... What I have to consider on my end is that I have a little USB-A hub under the desk and i'm not sure i need it because the computer's under there now right like mm-hmm. I, unless i need more ports and i'm not sure i do i'm gonna have to revisit that because i might actually not even need that that hub anymore mm-hmm. um but uh but that's good it's a good solution like w- the dock adds complexity that you don't actually need especially considering that the the keyboard and um and mouse are not they're there to be plugged to be used in front of the display right mm-hmm. so plugging them into the display makes sense yeah and so I, i'm just really because that's then it's just that one cable now and it goes straight into the to the display and i just don't need you know like i don't you know previously it's like oh for the occasional time i need an sd card or the occasional time that i need this or that I then have this Thunderbolt dog, but I don't need that now with the new MacBook Pro because it has those ports in it. And look, I, of course, thought like the Mac Studio, I could probably plug everything that I need into that, but I don't want one for that desk. And I. It's a very expensive dock. Yes. And I don't need one. <laughs> I, I'm still not sure it's the right machine to replace my iMac. I just haven't, I haven't right. really put any thought into it yet. I'm going to wait yeah. a little longer and see what later on in the year provides for me anyway. And we will talk about that later on in the show because sure. there is, I do also imagine this world where I actually just use two laptops, but we'll talk about that at another point. Wow. Um, because I just think a MacBook Air, a colorful MacBook Air could just be really nice, but we could talk about it later on. But yeah, but sure. I'll wrap this up by saying I'm back to Dongle Life and seriously, Logitech, what is wrong with you? Make a USB receiver. Mm. Like your mouse, the MX Master mouse that I use, it has a USB-C port for charging. So you know USB-C exists and it's better than what you had before. Why do you only make a USB-A receiver? And, and here, let me say that if you're thinking Logitech, you got to think like Apple, right? Mm-hmm. You put the USB-A adapter in the box, and then you sell a USB-C receiver yeah. I'll, I'll buy on it. your website yep. for a premium price. Go for it, you know? And people will buy it. Mm-hmm. Come on. Many people sent me a link. Including me. <laughs> many, many people sent me this. And it was right. I wanted to see it, so I'm happy people sent it to me. At Chaos T on Twitter, ripped apart a magic keyboard with the touch ID button in it 
and now has on their desk a very small board with just the US uh, so the, the the touch ID power button basically removing the requirement to have the keyboard anywhere right right have I done a decent job of explaining that maybe you could do a better job I don't know if it did yeah it, it's a so chaos T took the you followed the um I fix it instructions to disassemble the magic keyboard um with touch id mm-hmm. and r- stripped it down to what appears to be a circuit board and one connector mm-hmm. that goes to the touch id sensor mm-hmm. and it's plugged in via lightning and it works <laughs> mm-hmm. and i look at this and i think one I'm kind of tempted to do this, except I would just destroy this keyboard and like, but because I, I have, I like you, I have the, mm-hmm. it's the Mike Hurley method. I have a, an entire keyboard Velcroed under my desk so that I can have the touch ID button. Um, and two, I think to myself, somebody, if this, if there is a standard set of instructions about how to do this, the next step is that somebody also needs to sell a little 3D printed plastic shell. Mm-hmm for it so you could have a little touch id thing on your desk and then third i'll say apple just sell a touch id box (laughs) just do it there's no way that whole board that's connected to the touch id is what's needed for the touch id because that board is the entire keyboard the (laughs) majority of what's inside of the keyboard is battery um so, right. Jason, I am here to tell you, today, I purchased all of the requisite parts to do this. Oh, all right. So, you're I will be following it. up on this maybe next it's... week or the week after, depending on when everything comes in. Because I needed a couple of extra things from iFixit. Uh, like, they have this thing called the iOpener, which is a very yes. clever product, which basically you heat up and it will help you um, remove the adhesive because there's a lot of adhesive yeah. uh, in the At least... The, the the iFixit guide is for a previous version of the Magic Keyboard. I don't know if that's changed. Like this one, the, the iFixit guide uh, that is linked is the prior version. So they may have made mm-hmm. some changes, but but Chaos T said to someone who asked, just follow this guide and it's everything in, that you need. Uh, so my plan is to, is, is multiple stages. One is to extract it and make sure it works. And then I'm going to try and source something to put it in and then just right. have it sitting on my desk. So, yeah, I, I thought this could be a fun little project. I might stream it. I might actually stream the process, but it depends when everything mm. comes in. Uh, the keyboard is on the way, but now um, we'll wait for the iFixit parts to ship. Yeah, I just feel like um, what I would want out of it was something that was more like the... Because the, Chaos T has a whole back plate that the lightning yeah. goes into, and that's nice, but it also has the board like right yep. there on top and i don't i don't like that i don't like that i, no, I want a little rectangle yeah I, I want a little rectangle with that one button on it and mm-hmm. that's that's it so i this will be a process but i have begun that yeah. process because this okay. seems like a fun project to try and sure. make work Sure. What you can't do is like just take a chainsaw and cut off the button. That won't work. You have to disconnect. Mm-hmm. You have to do some serious Absolutely. surgery and like yep. disconnect all of the other keys, mm-hmm. leaving you only with the touch ID. Um, but I think yeah, it'll be fun. It's, it's it's a cool idea. Yeah, it's a cool idea. I'm I'm very happy with my um, touch ID button under yep. the desk. Yep. It it um, it's fun. I 
had uh, I was using the one password beta and they they have support for uh, SSH keys in one password, which seemed great, except then suddenly I had to authenticate every time I was connecting to my server, whereas oh. I just had those like it, I had those keys. It's it's fine. I, I had to like comment those keys out, and anyway, I undid that. But in the run of the mill kind of like, I need you to authenticate to be able to just put my finger right under my desk and boop, it gets done. Is pretty great, and it's kind of like a little magic trick. Um, however, when I look at the underside of my desk when I'm doing something else down there, I I just laugh because there's a whole keyboard, and if I do overshoot a little bit, then a couple extra letters get uh, typed, <laughs> which is silly. It's silly. So yeah, I don't I don't know what I'll do with this, but I want to give it a go. It seemed like a fun enough project to at least try. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely try mm-hmm. it. Um, I and and like I said, whatever you end up doing for an enclosure, um, uh, I think that'll be interesting too because it it would be nice once yeah. it's once you know what it is as a functional little tiny thing mm-hmm. would be to figure out how could you mount that in a way that is is uh, is nice. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Trade. When you become a Trade Coffee customer, you can enjoy knowing that you have the freshest and best tasting coffee you've ever made at home. And the coffee that you'll be drinking will be from the country's best independent craft roasters, which helps out those small businesses a ton too. I took the Trade quiz. They had this wonderful quiz that you can go through and you can tell them the kind of preferences that you have. They keep it nice and simple, which I find really awesome. And every single bag of coffee that I've got from them has just been amazing. Uh, I've loved two things about Trade uh, specifically. One, I mean, is that every bag of coffee we have got from Trade is amazing. But two, the variance. You know, so one one of the things I actually really enjoy about small roasters, uh, small coffee roasters, is the amount of thought and care and design that goes into their packaging. Because it's just like a fun part of the experience for me. And getting all of these different coffees from all these different roasteries is really awesome to see. It's the branding that they all have and to learn a little bit about these companies. I just think it's super cool. Trade's coffee team taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. Everyone has that one coffee that they just love and Trade is going to help you find it. Trade is so incredibly confident that they'll match you right the first time. If they don't, just give them your feedback and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free so you know you're going to be looked after. Whether your friends call you a coffee snob or you just know it when coffee tastes perfect, Trade's real coffee experts personally taste test over 450 roasts so they know exactly what to recommend to you. And they have delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. And I am one of those positive reviews not bags i'm not a bag of coffee right now trade is offering you customer new subscribers a total of 30 dollars off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com upgrade that's more than 40 cups of coffee for free get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com upgrade and let trade find you a coffee that you'll love that url one more time is drinktrade.com upgrade for 30 dollars off our thanks to trade for their support of this show and relay fm WWDC has been announced June 6th to 9th. Yes. I, I guess I pre-announced it when I said that it was happening the week that my son is graduating yeah. from high school. But yes. Everybody else needed that context, right? Once you know, again, know. it is the last week of school for, uh-huh. for my children, and it is also WWDC. Kind of expected so, first full yeah. week of June. As is tradition. 
It is, in essence, a fully online affair, but Apple are going to be... Well, I mean, not really. I mean, kind of, sure. There is going to be a small, I think very small, event for developers at Apple Park to watch the keynote and State of the Union. I was listening to you guys talk about this on Connected last week, and I I thought it was interesting because you were kind of approaching it with the like it was a small event and are you going to apply to be there and all of that and i thought to myself i think that's the wrong way to look at this this is a pr opportunity is what this is apple is going to do a pr opportunity where they're going to showcase off certain developers and students right and like have it be uh you know again because it's going to be such a small group that it is really not I don't think they're going to even calculate in like the people who are going to get invited that are VIPs, uh, like very important or VITs, very important developers will be invited because they want to, you know, politically they want to, they want to show their appreciation for those developers. But I think in the end, this, the way I read it is it's basically, um, spectacle and, you know, Apple will use it to show like, look at our great students that we've got and look mm-hmm. at our great developers in a way, but it's, it's really irrelevant to the event. I think it's just a little sort of side show. I do wonder, I've seen some people say media as well. I'm unclear on that one. We're going to talk about Mark Gurman's report in a bit, but, but Mark specifically says media as if it's a thing. Uh, yeah. I expect it is in Apple's plan to invite at least some media for the same yeah. reason some developers will be, I think, as you say, outrightly invited just for the meetings that some people at Apple would like to have with them afterwards, and it's just a great way to bring them in. I expect right. at least some media will be invited so there can be some in-person conversations and briefings that happen afterwards, would be my expectation. I, that's possible. My my reluctance is that I wonder if it's going to end up being, like I said, a PR event where media will be invited, but what they're really going to be invited there to do is like hear from the students or hear from the, the, the Apple hand-picked developers. Well, sure, I mean, but that's great, still like a, you right? know, there's a, there's a, there's a, PR opportunity that they're looking to go for, so they'll bring at least some media in. I would assume. Yeah, too. it's just it's interesting because because I, I that's something that I'm watching is are they going to be inviting media to cover WWDC keynote um, and provide access to maybe some of the people who work at Apple for briefings and things like that, or are they going to invite media there to? feed them stories about the you know developers because the inspirational developers that are are there right because that's different right if you're covering are you covering the 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 event or are you or sorry let me rephrase that are you covering wwdc keynote and state of the union or are you there to cover people in apple park watching the keynote in the state of the union i think that that would be one of my questions if media is invited at all it's different if they're like fishing for public for you know little public interest stories about like inspirational stories about this great developer or something like that that's a different kind of pr technique than saying we're inviting some members of the media uh to watch the event either in apple park uh campus or or maybe they send the media to the steve jobs theater i I don't i don't know it's it's uh it's an interesting wrinkle my guess at this point, my gut feeling is that it's kind of more a 
I don't want to call it a stunt, but kind of a PR stunt, right? Like it's more, it's more for show to say we're slowly opening up and we're going to have a watch party, but it's still going to be online. Um, that said, it's not that far off from the thing that I've been saying all along, which is that they will probably try hard to have some sort of in-person component, but it won't be what we think of as WWDC. It'll be more like um, like, because I'm, I'm thinking that maybe next year they'll invite media and select developers to the Steve Jobs Theater mm-hmm. for a live keynote mm-hmm. and maybe a live State of the Union presentation or maybe not, but something that some live aspect, but it, it doesn't kick off an event uh, that's in yeah. the real world. It just kicks off in a week of that. videos. Yeah, I imagine yeah. that too. The weeks of week of videos and online labs. and stuff. Yeah, and it lets them have people there. To, to talk to and to do briefings and to do all of that stuff. It lets them have that, but it's not the let's get thousands of developers kind of thing ever again. Yeah. We're going to dig into this more in a minute, but there is a possibility of hardware at WWDC, which could be a reason to bring some media in if they maybe want to do some kind of limited hands-on, which would also sure. allow them to start the potential dry run of an iPhone event, a headset event later on in the year as well right because because we figure at some point they're going to have some very important hardware yes uh, that's vih <laughs> just adding all the very importance this time mm-hmm. it's a very important podcast vip yeah see hey, ah. Hey, ah. um it is they're going to do that right they're going to do yes. if they if it's all humanly possible they're going to do an in-person event because they're going to have hardware that they really want the press to get their hands on and yeah. i i guess right we don't know what will happen with covid levels um i would imagine it's going to be one of those things where everybody is going to have to be vaccinated and probably pass a test in order to do yeah. but they could do that and they will still be able to put on that event. So I, I think they're going to want, I think you, you make a good point that in some ways this is a little bit of a test case, a little bit of a dry mm-hmm. run. Could be, right? So to to dig into this a little bit more, uh, we're, I guess we're in the rumor roundup. Uh, Sheriff Mark Gurman is reporting original plans for this WWDC were to be the unveiling of the Apple headset, but that's likely been pushed. Though right. iOS 16 understandably, is full of references to it currently, is what Mark has Uh been told. But that's like, of course, I mean, it's only internal. And the expectation is that this headset will be released during the iOS 16 cycle. And we also expect the headset to be very intertwined with the phone. So all of this stuff makes perfect sense and is all pointing towards what we would expect. The challenge that they have is the gap between... um, giving developers information about the product and the release of the product. Yeah. And it's, and they do everything on an OS cycle based on September. And so it's, it's tough for them to like, I think announcing the existence of the headset at WWDC with a reality based OS kind of component to it is the ideal situation. And Mark Ehrman saying that's what they were shooting for, but they probably won't make it. So the fallback, to me, the fallback is they could do it at any time during the summer, mm-hmm. or they could really do it at the same event as the iPhone unveiling. That's what I think. I think do it at the iPhone. And it doesn't ship for a few months. Yeah. So what you say is- well, got when, the whole when we, world watching. Yeah. The whole yeah, world so watches. You, you say iOS 16 is here, and uh, what? There's also this other thing yeah. in developers. It's based on what you've been working on all summer with iOS. And I, given that it's an open secret, it also allows Apple 
and I know we've talked about this before, but like the existence of all of its existing AR and VR stuff allows Apple to just matter of factly state iOS 16 has all of this new stuff for virtual reality and augmented reality and even potentially a way to uh, to test it using existing off the shelf hardware from other companies and just say, yeah, this is a thing we're doing. And not say a word about the fact that there's going to be hardware on the other end yep. of it. It's just like, no, you can you can try this stuff out. And everybody knows why. They don't have to say why. Everybody knows why. And it frees them to make that actual announcement later and still give a few months buffer before the software has to be ready. So, so yeah, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they did basically acknowledge here we are working on a product or even sh- do a sneak peek with very high level stuff and say it's in the OS you can and uh and we'll provide more details you know later but um that's not what i would pick as the most likely scenario i think the scenario where they announce it in september is the is the most likely and 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 you know soft pedal it in june and be like yeah yeah there's a lot of vr and ar stuff in here mm-hmm. strongly implied <laughs> But not uh, not stated outright, which they can do. Like, because again, they're not fooling anybody, right? They're just not ready to talk about it yet. But they could talk about all the juicy APIs that are in uh, the the new OSs without actually announcing the product. And and I think that's the best way to do it. They could go a long way, right? They could go a long way to we've got this new AR stuff and never need to talk about reality OS right. or whatever they're going to call it, right? Exactly. Um, because every single year they spend a significant portion of WWDC talking about the AR updates. Like, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, and so they can just say, hey, we've got all this new stuff. You know, and it can be like, you remember like one of the classics I always think of is um, size classes on iPad or, or, or what was iOS for iPad, you know? Like, oh, apps should be able to adapt their size. It's like, well, and then everyone will say, "Well, obviously they are trying to have multitasking on on the iPad." You know, it's like one of the classic ones where it's like they will telegraph something to you a year in advance or months in advance because they got this thing coming down the line. Uh, iOS 16 is also set to include updates to notifications and new health tracking features, says uh, Mark Gurman. I don't really know what this means, honestly. Like, I don't know. What the iPhone will be doing for health tracking, Mark does say watchOS 9 is also expected to get new health focus features. Um, I can believe that, but I don't know what that means with no new yeah. sensors. Um, hazy, hazy. And again, this is, there's uh, not a lot Notifications updates. Yeah. Like, okay, I mean. I hoped so because focus mode right. <laughs> needs more effort. <laughs> Who among us would not say that trying no. to make notifications better in iOS would not be admirable? But I'm re- I mean, genuinely really happy about this because I, I was like, oh, they put this new system in. It will be the old Apple way. It's be two years before they touch it again. Right. But my hope will be that like they did all this stuff to notifications, focus mode, time sensitive, right summaries, all good stuff, but needs more. Um, and yep. so Push I'm pleased that they're going to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. iPad OS 16 is expected to have yet another redesign of multitasking. So that's all, I mean, that's really all he says is it's another redesign of multitasking. I think, and I know Federico had lots of feelings about this. We can talk about it unconnected. I'm I'm sure. So what I'll say, I'll just throw this in here before you. I want to know what you think. Before you uh, get to connected. Um, I enjoy listening to connected. I listen to connected um, 
live when I run, and then I also listen like when I get I get home, and it, it's always very funny because you start talking about me while I'm taking a shower, mm-hmm. and I can't even text you to mm-hmm. to to dispute your claims you about need me. To it's use very Siri, you know. It's it's very fun. Just shout out. I I enjoy that podcast a lot. So anyway, um, what I would say is. It's a it's a it's a report from Mark Gurman, so he's getting this sort of like described to him, um, and not in any detail. It's just like there's multitasking stuff in there. And my immediate thought is, this is this is external display support, and potentially support for a larger screened iPad. And it's and after what they did last year, I have a hard time believing that they will truly redesign multitasking because they were the, the new system that they put in place last year and Federico's pointed this out it's a new way of doing what has already been possible like it it wasn't adding features to multitasking it was like changing the way you did those features it made it clearer in some ways it yeah. made it more yeah. obscure and complicated in others but the basics of it is a bit more simple right but i always read the ipad os 15 updates as being laying the foundation for more complex multitasking that what they were really doing was building a new system of multitasking interface because they knew multitasking was going to get more complicated down the road and they they needed to start from a different metaphor if they were going to do that they needed to start putting some visual buttons in right because now you're going to get maybe four corners and all that kind of stuff right because they've got the little sf uh symbol elements for tiling and stuff like that like and on the little uh dots at the top of a window and they've got the multi-window concept in their little dock and all of that like they, they have been moving in this direction um so when I read the Mark Gurman report, my and I am wish casting a little bit, but my take on that is that what what this probably means is that they're now going using this new sort of uh, system that they set out in iPadOS 15. This is when they push it forward and say, okay, you can do more now. You can you can do um, a grid or tiles, or you can put different apps in different places on the screen. This, and we're going to open up the, the external display thing so that it's actually usable because, um, it's not just that it's dumb that you can attach an iPad to a studio display and it shows pillar boxed and upscaled, uh, what's on the screen of the iPad. But even if the iPad were able to use the full 5K to display something that's not on the screen, with the existing multitasking, it would be really dumb because you're very limited. In, you basically would be would have split view. And that that's all you would have. For a larger display, you need to be able to tile more apps and have more control over where um, your apps go. Even if it's not Mac, full on Mac Windows, you would still need more control than you than you um, currently have. So you can't just do external display support without adding um, better, more flexible multitasking support. So I choose to read this rumor as being that that we're finally going to get some form of advanced. Uh, multi-window multitasking in some form and probably external display support too, especially now that Apple is actually selling its own um, semi-reasonably priced external display. Um, it could, if if you want to roll your eyes at this, you could say they're, they're just going to redesign the same thing for the ninth time. And it's <laughs> like, how many times are they going to try, try to do this before realizing they're not going to make multitasking happen? Uh, but I choose to believe that this is actually part of the plan that started with iOS 15 and is going, or iPad OS 15, and and that they're going to advance. Now that they've redefined it, now they're going to advance it. That's what I choose to believe. 
Okay. I'm definitely in a for me once, shame on me, for me twice kind of situation. Oh, I get it. iPad multitasking. I get it. And I, I've been there too, but you know, I'm reminded of some of our drafts where we where we've done that and and been like, Yeah, I'm not gonna pick the Apple external display. That's not gonna happen. I, I I've picked it too many times and then it happens, right? Sometimes Apple uh, fools you so many times that you really just have to give up, but then sometimes they come through with the thing that you've been waiting for just way later than you thought. They wait until the moment you give up and then give it to you. Yeah. Well, the the release of the studio display, I do think, is almost a necessary thing for external display support on the iPad. I, I, I feel like it was almost uh, a requirement that Apple have a reasonable iPad external display that they could use because I could never really envision them saying, hey, uh, we did iPad external display support and here's this LG monitor, right? Like I, I couldn't, or here's the Pro Display XDR. Sure, sure, I sure. couldn't see that, but I can see it now. Um, but yeah, I think everybody... <laughs> Now that I've gotten your hopes up, don't get your hopes up, right? Like, I, I think everybody needs to keep be level-headed about this because this might be it, um, but it hasn't been so far. So, so you know, the pessimists are always, e- they're either right or they're, um, or it exceeded their expectations. That's the advantage of being a pessimist, I guess. So everybody pick their poison, but I'm choosing to be optimistic about this. I feel like they're in exactly the right place to finally do this. Yeah, I... I... We'll say I am going along, and I agree with what you just said about the. Um, you couldn't imagine them saying, "Hey, we've got this new display support. Uh, get an XDR, right?" However, they did do that for the Mac for a long time. Yeah, right. Even like the Mac Mini, which it needed a display, and they had no problem then saying, "Get this one," you know, or some other display. But I but what I say I just wanted to make that point. However, I do agree with what you're saying about it would have been kind of weird to add display support to another device, but yet not have a display to give yeah. you. It's not a good story, right? Apple likes their it stories. Really, yeah, it doesn't tie up. Where the other products, their legacy really. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that all this stuff has been around before and at least with every other well, at least with all the laptops, it's like you can if you want to, but you don't need to. The Mac Pro was like, Well, what else are you gonna attach your million dollar computer to? Just you know <laughs> what right. I like, you know and the Mac Mini display. was the outlier and, and for the Mac Mini being the quote unquote cheaper Mac, you could say get this um yeah. ultra fine, right? Like the stories yeah. were whilst a little disjointed, you could make them and with the iPad it would be a bit weird. Like, hey, this beautiful display you have on your iPad Pro, hook it up to a less great, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, hook yep. it up to a worse display, but it's bigger. Yep. Right, so, yeah. and, and there are some rumors about a larger iPad, and I feel like this fits I that mean, too. When hasn't there been though? Are there actually rumors? Are there rumors? Or are there just like people thinking? Just wishes? Yeah. I thought that there was, I thought that there was a report from someone, and I don't know if it was Mark Gurman or Ming-Chi Kuo, who said that Apple is considering, at least considering, a larger iPad. Yeah, I mean, but that comes in and out. Anyway, it's, it is it is not a, a question of, of can they do it. It is a question of do they want to do it. And that's the most frustrating kind of thing for um, guessing what Apple is going to do is um, I can... We, we can all look at the existing hardware and even the existing software and interfaces and where they are and gauge like, oh, this isn't going to happen. They're not ready. Um, it's different when it, they're all of it is poised, right? Like it's right on the edge of being possible, and then it just becomes: Does Apple want to do this? Do they have the will to do this? And that part, you know, is mm-hmm. very hard to tell. 
because it, it, it's like, where where is their head right now? And I think if there's anything that you could get from listening to Federico talk about the iPad on Connected the last few months, it's that the iPad is in a bit of a precarious situation where we're not really sure what Apple thinks of the iPad. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that report card where David Sparks pointed out that he had to basically give up trying to make the iPad be a thing that Apple clearly doesn't think it is. Um and I think that this is the this is the question is just because the iPad has been moving in this direction for a while doesn't mean Apple's going to take it the rest of the way. Apple might say, we're fine. Um, we're not going to do that anymore and change its mind. And as much as we applaud the fact that five years ago, Apple got a bunch of people around a table and said, we've changed our mind about the Mac and we are, you know, they'll never admit they changed their mind. It's like, oh, no, no, uh, we're always committed, but we're extra committed now. Um, they, they, they can change their mind the other way, too, and say... Yeah, we've we've worked a lot on, you know, keyboard and mouse support for iPad OS and multitasking and all that, but we're not gonna we're not gonna push it further. We've chosen not to do that. And I would be sad about that, but uh they might do it. Now, move on to hardware. I wanna read what I think is a really weird uh paragraph from this came from Mark Gurman's Power On newsletter, which is great. But this isn't this is this is weird to me. And it goes back to when we talk about like what are the sources, right? Mm-hmm. This is quoting from Mark Cummins. I'm told there are two new Macs coming around the middle of the year or early in the second half. One of those is likely to be the new MacBook Air. Other mm-hmm. models in the works include an updated <laughs> Mac Mini and twenty four inch iMac, as well as a low end MacBook Pro to replace the aging thirteen inch model. And let's not forget that the new Mac Pro and iMac Pro models are in development. Okay. Now, what that tells you is Mark has a source that tells him one one thing, but cannot tell him the other one. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, two two Mac models, MacBook Air, and something else. MacBook Air and every other possible Mac it could be. And then here's a list including things that I've said will be, you know, pretty far out, yeah. but I'm going to include them here too. I, I, I look at it. that and think, one, it's fascinating because, yes, his sources have only been able to provide him with one product that seems likely, yep. although he feels like the two models are likely. He can't name the second model, which is fascinating. And then when he lists all of them, I think that's partially like pick from this list, mm-hmm. partially to make it seem, you know, like less of a ripoff that he doesn't name the second one and partially as defensive writing because everybody's going to come back and say, oh, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? So he li- literally listed them all and said, yes, I'm aware about all the Macs that I've said yep. in my own reporting are coming out. Don't ask me. I don't know. I've listed them all as possibilities. Where the conventional wisdom would tell you the Mac Pro would be the most likely to be shown off at all, right? Like, that's what we would say if we were just going to guess. If I was going to make a guess, like, oh, which Mac do you think could be shown at WWDC? Well, I'll give you Mac Pro for two reasons. One, it's literally when they always do it, and it makes the most sense because it's the audience that cares the most, even if they're not in the room. They're just the audience that cares the most. Two, they've already said it's coming, right? Which they never do. They never do that. And so that seems the most likely to me that it gets, because as well, I'll give you reason three. The Mac Pro is maybe the only product they have in their lineup where they could tell you about it six months in advance and it doesn't make an ounce of difference. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think it's also unclear, like, what does the introduction of two new Mac models be? Because I think personally they could tease the Mac Pro 
and not introduce it, right? Sure, like they sure. could tease it, but it's like, and it's coming later, right? As they've yeah. done for Mac Pros in the past, it's coming later this year. Uh, and, and here's a little tease about what it's going to be like, and we'll give you more information later. And then we spend six months wondering, parsing all the limited information they've given us, wondering what it's actually going to be like until they are ready to unveil it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's entirely possible they'll do that and unveil two new Mac models in, you know, in the moment. My, my gut feeling is since the MacBook Air is rumored to be an M2, that maybe they will replace that 13-inch MacBook Pro with whatever the new one of that is, because it allows them to tell a complete laptop story by sweeping out those two original M1 laptops and replacing them. Then they'll have the MacBook Pros and they'll have those two laptops. And we've speculated here, maybe they're not MacBook Air and MacBook Pro. Maybe they're MacBook and MacBook Air. And the MacBook Air is is the version that is emphasizing thinness and lightness. Yeah. And then the, that 13-inch MacBook Pro becomes a MacBook. It doesn't have the touch bar. It's something that is more affordable than a MacBook Pro, but uh, beefier and more capable than a MacBook Air. And it it lives in the middle. Um, and maybe even has things like an... I, I don't know, but that would be like an M2 as well. I, that's my gut feeling of the most straightforward thing. However, some of the reports I've seen are wild, right? Like the the idea that they might turn over the iMac and the Mac mini to the M2 soon. Like, and this is the question is if M2 is shipping in volume this summer, they could turn over all the M1 Macs, especially if they're not redesigning them. And there's questions about if they're going to redesign the Mac mini, but they're they're certainly not going to redesign the 24-inch iMac. So they could just say, new colors M2, and yeah. make an announcement about that at any point. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, we and we haven't seen that second turn of the wheel of the, the new M series cycle. So we don't know. But if I had to guess, it would be those two laptops, I think. My guess is, it's the Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the fact this is the last M1 machine and saying we are introducing the first M2 machine today. And it's the MacBook Air. And it's the MacBook Air. And I actually think that the update to the MacBook Pro is a footnote at the end of the MacBook Air announcement. Hmm. Like that they say, we are also today bringing this new M2 chip to the MacBook Pro, which we are now calling the MacBook. Because it's not, in my opinion, whatever they do to it, worthy of that much time I, I think, I don't know, I think they will because I think they're going to remove the touch bar, right? And they're going to simplify that computer. And but like they, that could be done in a minute. No, but imagine, well, yes, but imagine just spitballing here, knowing how yeah. Apple's rollouts work. I think what you do is you say, and we're introducing, you know, John Turnus is there. What color is his shirt? He's like, ah, oh, the M2. And here are the things we changed to take it even further than those M1 chips that blew you away two years ago. And we're putting it, now let me tell you, or now now let Jaws tell you or whoever about the new computer, right? And you cut to the person who's going to tell you about the new computer. They say, well, here we are. It's the new MacBook. And people are like, okay. And it turns out, oh, well, I see what they're doing. They're taking the 13-inch MacBook Pro. They've redefined it. They're calling the new MacBook. That's not that exciting. And they're like, aha, but wait, there's also a new MacBook Air and colors. And oh my God, I can see the universe. It's all in color. It's amazing. Um, That's how they would do it, right? They'd start with a boring one and say, oh, look, we made this product that made no sense. Makes sense. Isn't that nice? But wait, 
and then they blow your mind with whatever the new MacBook Air is. That would be how they would do it. If I were if I were marketing inside Apple, that's how I would do it. And so you mentioned that first thing, but it's really a setup for the second thing. Yeah, mm. There are lots of ways they could do it. Okay, I can see I can see that. Um, but I I just don't even know if there's the time for it. But I I do think I don't know. I the MacBook Air at least seems like the most. Of, of everything else other than the Mac Pro, it seems locked to me personally. Everything yeah. else, the MacBook Air seems like the most likely because, I mean, that was originally what rumored to be September of last year um, that we were going to get that MacBook Air. But I'm very, I remain very excited yeah. about that MacBook Air. Well, I think there's a strong argument to be made that, that it doesn't make sense that any of this hardware get announced at the developer conference other than the Mac Pro, Yeah, since the MacBook Pro is already out there. But your point is, I think, the relevant one, which is, I think they've been trying to introduce the MacBook Air for a while now, if the, so if the reports are true, and they, they have been frustrated and it's gotten pushed back from their internal timelines. And it's one of those things that... You know, you you say, well, why now? And the answer is because because we have it now. Yeah, and it's like, is is it relevant to WWC? No, but we. But they don't have enough for a whole other event, <laughs> right? They don't want to do an event just right. for that when they've got WWC on the horizon. And the MacBook Air is is incredibly popular, right? Yep. Like, so just get it. the moment that you can sell it, start selling it. Yep. So yeah, well, I'm excited. We're two months away. This episode is brought to you by Electric. When you're thinking of the, of the phrase boss move, you might think of making bold business decisions or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd. The reality is sometimes being a boss in a small business means sorting out the orange juice that you just spilled onto your keyboard or helping a staff member setting up their new laptop. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire with electric acting as your it department you can get back to what you're good at plus you get a really cool it platform to see and manage everything it sounds so amazing to me honestly sometimes just managing my own computers <laughs> is enough of an issue for me trying to get everything just the way i want it so i'm trying to imagine doing this for teams of people seems really really difficult I think this just sounds like a fantastic service. For upgrade listeners, Electric are offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash upgrade FM. That's electric.ai slash upgrade FM. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. I really think that if you have a business and you have a couple of employees and maybe they've all got a computer and maybe a phone between them, this really seems like a fantastic thing for you to go and check out. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show and Relay FM. Take me out to the ball game, Jason Snell. Yes, yes. One day... I will. Well, we've done it before. We've been to we've been to together. a minor league game in. in I would Memphis. like to this go. I would like to go to a major league game with you. I have been yes. to a major league game. I saw the Mets play someone once. I don't remember who, <laughs> okay. but I I've done it. You know, I went matters. out to what is the name of the uh the City Field. Yeah, I went out to City Field. To. They had great food there. Uh, it was a really good day. It was very hot, but it was a good day. I went out in August nice. one year with some friends. Well, get out here, and I'll uh, take you to the Giants game. Right. And we'll I would have love a nice to go time. to the Giants we'll game. Roll out the baseballs and have some uh, have some baseball park food, and I can yep. tell you how uh, baseball works. Well, why don't you tell me how baseball works on Apple TV Plus? Okay, yes, here we are. Apple is now a baseball broadcaster. It mm-hmm. happened on Friday. 
um, two games because that's the idea here. They're gonna Friday Night Baseball. It's two games. They're broadcast not just nationally but internationally. There are people tweeting about it in like the UK, and it's it's a uh, it's Saturday um, baseball for Australia, and it's in Japan and Korea as well, uh, and and several other markets. It's it's kind of all over the place, uh, which is cool. Um, it's obviously produced by Major League Baseball and the MLB Network, which is the you know baseball owned cable channel and they are producing these shows right apple didn't go out and hire announcers and hire uh camera people and hire producers right they they this deal included apple you know as either part of what apple's paying here is paying for the services for mlb network to produce the show for them it's branded as apple but it's produced by mlb network and we also got the answer in some of the coverage to um the fact that these announcing teams and they have three announcers in the booth and a, and a field announcer. And it sounds like they're going to be the announcing teams that Apple uses for the whole year. We'll see, but it looks like they're going to try to keep the teams together, these crews and have them go to different parks and comment on different games. But that would be good, I think, because it would allow them to work together and build up a rapport. Cause you got, you got the sense from this, that it was the first time that they, that they had worked together. Um, and so, yeah, the truth is a lot of what we saw on Friday night was very conventional. Uh, things you would see on sports TV. And I know there were the comments I saw on Twitter from people who I think maybe don't usually watch uh, today's sports broadcasts and therefore don't know what the current, like what it's like. Um, you know, it had a, it had a, they were so conventional in terms of the broadcast that, yeah. So the pregame show had a sponsor. And had commercials. Um, the actual game also had commercials, and and yeah, there were Apple TV Plus ads, which I expected, but also a lot of super, just who whatever ads were sold by MLB Network. Essentially, like there was a Subway ad at one point, uh, NFT ads. There was an ad for CDW featuring uh, Microsoft Surface that made me laugh. That was hilarious. Um, Apple TV Plus featuring Microsoft Surface. There was a Hey Siri ad during the broadcast, but they Apple does those ads. Uh, sorry, Ahoy Telephone. Uh, Apple does Ahoy Telephone ads during regular sports broadcasts. That's not an Apple-specific thing. So what was different, at least in week one, and keeping in mind this is week one, all the type was in San Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco so font, was, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it was design Apple's design style. It was all using variants of san francisco um for those who care about little sports graphics stuff which i do the score bug i thought was pretty good they had three dots for the outs and then filled them in as the outs are are gotten some people like two dots for the outs it's dumb there are three outs in an inning you should show three of the object don't at me um and uh i wish uh, what what i think was missing from it is i wish it uh displayed the pitcher and not just the pitch count because they show how many pitches, but they didn't say who's pitching, which I think is just a nice thing that some broadcasts add that I think would be nice. What was interesting is they don't have hitter information up there because they they put the hitter information in the lower right corner. Um, and although that took some getting used to, I think that there were some advantages to it. There was always kind of hitter and situational information in the lower right. I thought the type was maybe a little too light. It was a little too hard to notice that it was there. Um, they used a bunch, a bunch of advanced statistics, which was fun. Um, but they were also a little bit silly. Like they would put up 
This player has a 42.44% chance of driving in a run, which like guys just say 42%. Like it's the, 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 the decimal percentages don't make it seem more scientific. They make it seem um, silly. So I, I think they could, I think they could simplify that a little bit. Um, and I, I also think that down in the little hitter area, uh, another thing that's missing is, uh, as the game progresses, what has that hitter done today? And I know they sometimes would put up a graphic and then take it back down, but it's like, I actually really like the sports broadcast that when the hitter's batting, it says this guy was two for four with two runs batted in, um, or that he got a hit in the third inning or hit a home run in the fourth inning. Like, I would really like some kind of uh, constant information about the batter and not just their kind of advanced stats and percentages. So. That's a that's a critique that I have. I think there's some work that they could do there. I appreciate what they're trying. It's it's a different kind of feel, but um, I I would like a little more situational stuff. If we're talking about stuff that's on the screen the whole time, um, I would like status of the batter and what the batter had done either in the game or what his stats are for the season. Um, big thing is though, like I mentioned, it's a full on national broadcast team. It feels like Apple is paying to make this feel special even though it's just a couple of regular season games plucked off the schedule on a Friday night, they put the three people in the booth. That is a very kind of playoffs Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Kind of like we spared no expense, three people in the booth and a sideline reporter. Um, So it feels special. And there were way more cameras in use than a normal game. I think because as you know, Mike, there's usually a home and away broadcast separately for a game. But of course, Apple has the exclusive. And that means oh, they can there's use more, all of it. There's more crew and more cameras, and I think that that's what they're doing. I think they are actually using the local crew for the home and away crews, putting them together and shooting with more cameras, and it felt more special. And they also boasted in their press release that they're going to try to bring like their super high resolution camera, which lets them zoom in really clearly, and their super uh, speed camera that lets them do um, super slow mo. Uh, and they're going to bring that to to select games as well. So they're trying to make it feel special in a lot of ways, um, even though it's you know an MLB Network production. It's an MLB Network production where Apple has put extra money in and said, no, 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 make it make it special. Don't make it a cut rate broadcast. Make it feel like a, an event. Like it's better than what you're going to see on your local broadcast in terms of the quality. And I will say, speaking of the quality, the quality of the video was very good. A lot of people commented about how good it looked, and it really did look good. I don't know how much of that is Apple saying, yes, quality is our watchword, and how much of that is how bad the signal path is from the local cable channel that's broadcasting it to your cable or satellite provider to you, where it's getting compressed and recompressed and down-resed and who knows what else is happening by the time it reaches you. Whereas this is just straight up coming from Apple's uh, CDN, Apple's stream partners, wherever they are. And as a result, it felt very, le- it felt really good. Like it was, it was, uh, it looked good. It was high resolution. I don't know if it was 4K. It might've just been 1080, but like on one level, it didn't matter. It looked good because the bit rate and, and a lack of recompression, um, I just thought it looked great. And I think most people did. So those are the those are the positives about it. I did want to say on the ads, because you mentioned yes. the ads, uh, my belief is that internationally there were no ads, right? No, no, internationally there was just a card that said, be right back, basically. Yeah. 
uh, and they didn't see the ads, which I I think is because MLB Network only sold those. I think that MLB Network just put it in their existing ad deals and yes. rolled it in, and those deals are for for the U.S. or maybe for North America and or U.S. and Canada maybe, and so they just rolled those in. And that that is one of my complaints, actually. One of my big complaints is where I thought that this wasn't very good, it felt it was because it felt like it was something taken from MLB Network stock and brought over. With and it's possible that this deal came together late enough that there was only so much that they that Apple could ask them to change up front. To, to customize for them because this is like a white label version of a baseball game so they have to customize it and apple's like okay uh, um san francisco in fact i would love to know the story sometime my guess is that somebody at apple designed the graphics and then handed them to mlb it's either that or somebody at mlb was told here's the san francisco font family um make this look like an apple thing um but either way um somebody tried to make like what is the most apple-like version of uh, baseball graphics that we could do, and they have rounded rectangles, and it's all no, in San Francisco. I feel Francisco. like Apple made those. I, I I I feel like that's got to have come from them. I don't know because I, I don't know if there's anybody at Apple who is aware of you know who's a designer who is qualified for that. But yes, I think at the very least it was a collaboration, right? Yes. It was a collaboration of some sort between yes. somebody at MLB Network and Apple in terms of the graphics, and they look pretty good. But but yeah, all my disappointments are about stuff that feels like it was just brought over without a whole lot of thinking from mm-hmm. MLB Network. The ads are number one. Like, here's my question for you about yeah. this ads thing. So I'm I'm intrigued and kind of a bit surprised by it. Currently, Friday Night Baseball is free. Yes. Eventually, it won't be. It's going to be part of it, Apple that, TV Plus. That is, yes, eventually. We don't know when. We don't know if this whole season. They've only, they, they released the schedule for the first half of the season and said, these will all be free. Yeah. We don't know whether the rest of the season will be free or that if that's the moment when they'll lower the paywall back. We just don't know. Um, because they could just say, this is a great loss leader for us to get people on Apple TV's platforms. Yeah. And 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 so we're going to... And, and it, it blunts some of the criticism of like, what do you mean I need another streaming service? If you can say, no, 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 it's free. It's free. You don't have to pay for another streaming service. So will they go the whole year or will they drop it? But at some point they will drop it. They've said at some point they will drop it and you will need to pay to see Friday Night Baseball. And then are they going to keep putting ads in the broadcast? Because that doesn't feel right to me. Right, right. I mean, there's another argument to be made about like whether ultimately Apple might even offer something like you can watch them for free with ads, but subscribers get it without the ads or something. I feel like, like if that. they're going to do that, though, they want to be in charge of the advertising, right? Yeah. So, I this is one of those things that I don't know what Apple's philosophy is, and it may be that it's written into the contract that they're like, okay, MLB, yes, you you're gonna you're gonna sell the ads and you're gonna put the ads in, and it's it's fine. It could also be that it was just expediency. Because don't forget, everything about the rhythm of a baseball broadcast is tied around between every half inning, there is an ad break. The announcers have that time to go to the bathroom. And like, there's so many things. And what do you do if you have to fill all that time? It would be a very different kind of broadcast. Doesn't mean you can't do it. I know Facebook definitely tried it when Facebook had some exclusive games the last few years. You can do a different kind of thing. Maybe that's who your sideline reporter does their their human interest story about a player is in the inning breaks. Or they interview somebody who's on the bench or something like that. Like There are ways to do it. This broadcast, at least week one, 
does not attempt any of those. So, so the, and those are the things that I really um, could complain about is it, it's far, it, for my money, far too conventional a baseball broadcast. Like it's reassuring in one way. It's just like, oh, I've seen this before. But honestly, Friday Night Baseball, I, I feel like what Apple wants to happen is for people to feel like it's not what they've seen before and that it's mm-hmm. a cut above. And in some ways it is. They are stacked announcer uh, groups, right? Four announcers, essentially. Three in the booth and a sideline reporter. All those cameras. It looks great. They got all the custom graphics. And then they roll an ad for Subway, right? And it's like, okay, what are you doing here? Um, the the coming on the air for the pregame show, and you know, studio pregame shows are not my thing. I think they're all kind of bad. Um, the their pregame studio show was bad. Like I didn't think the host interaction seemed kind of forced. They were yelling. It's all pretty much stock for a pregame show. I just hate those. Mm-hmm. But it was also sponsored by a betting company, oh. and I thought, well, that's kind of crappy. Um, and it was in the content, so it's like sponsored by the betting company. Okay, that's great. And then they rolled the ads, and that was kind of crappy. And then the actual sh- uh, game had a sponsor. It was presented by uh, some Q, I think, which is like a health thing. I don't know. It wasn't Eddie Q, but uh, <laughs> but it was it was something like that. And I thought, um, I don't know. I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, I don't want ads. Keep the ads away from me. Like, I get it. My issue isn't the ads. My issue is just like, you know, my question. And we spend so much time thinking and talking about this company, right? They are incredibly particular. The idea of them giving control to MLB at all is, is... not surprised. It's surprising in a way, but I understand it, right? That like they they want to at least have people that know how to make this content make it. Oh yeah. But the idea that they would allow for ads for companies that they're not having any approval over or whatever to be inserted into something that's going on their streaming service, it just goes yeah. against what I would have imagined. And that and that's why I say I think it's expediency, unless it was like a deal breaker in their contract with MLB. But it feels to me like expediency. It feels to me like Apple probably had a bunch of things that they wanted to ask for. And MLB Network was like, guys, we got to do this in three weeks. Uh, we can't. <laughs> we can't. Um, and th- and so what we need to watch over the life of this season is what did they adjust? Because like, yeah, to me, if I were the, again, I'm not, but if I were the Apple executive who is in charge of the MLB relationship, I would be unhappy that the first thing that went on my live stream was bed mgm presents the pregame show for apple monday friday night baseball like ugh and like i know i'll say for the people who who don't know who haven't watched american sports broadcast recently betting stuff is everywhere the the legalization of betting in some parts of the United States has led to a land grab for betting stuff. Um, But the pregame show was sponsored by a casino. Um, It had a whole segment where there was an expert telling you the odds of various things happening. And again, it used to be they would couch that stuff and they would just talk about what the possibilities were. And now they just say, here's the betting line. So they've just all the, the mask has come off of some of this stuff that was always kind of betting related, but, but we pretended it was more just, I wonder what will happen instead of place your bets everybody and and again as an apple executive i would look at that and be like you know that makes me uncomfortable i know that that works because there's so much money in the betting thing but this is a brand building thing for us um i'm 
I am frankly a little surprised. Not that there are ad breaks in the in the game, because I think that that it is part of the rhythm of the game. I was surprised that it wasn't just an Apple TV ad for for slow horses or something like that. Now that ad was in there, but it was preceded by like three or four other ads that were just off of whatever MLB Network seems to have sold. And I don't know if I if I could zero in on something that I think Apple could do a better job with. It's that stuff. It's like. Um, make use the commercial use the inner inning breaks for something other than running commercials because it differentiates your broadcast and if it's if it's uh, pre-rolled videos uh, or it's Apple TV promos or whatever if it's something that's not just a bunch of cable ads because the cable ads really did not make it feel special it did show off the image quality because the quality of the cable <laughs> ads that they rolled in were terrible and the quality of the game was really high so uh, it showed us that but like I, that would be something I would try to push and say we need to be less regular here. And like honestly, Apple, like whatever money you're getting kicked back to you by MLB rolling you into the Bet MGM sponsorship of your show, like just don't do it. Just don't do it. It it, it is it, it's muddying up your thing. Mm-hmm. And in the long run, if this is for your paid service, I, I just think it's unfortunate if you would if you would junk this up when you're trying to stand out. So I wouldn't do that. They did, by the way, they did have a crash. Okay. Um, the stream died for about a minute, but I think that what we've learned in covering streaming is um, everybody who does their first live stream doesn't properly gauge what the demand will be at the peak, and they have a crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only lasted a minute, and then it was fine, as far as I could tell, the rest of the time. So, um, you know, they'll learn and they'll get better. But I was not shocked that there was a moment where everything went down because that happens literally to everybody who tries it. Any like soccer or football or whatever has happened. Everybody gets that moment where they're like, oh, we didn't realize that, yeah, there's a lot of people watching live. I thought the announcers were good. Um, Like I said, they haven't worked together before, so they need time, but I think they're going to get it. It sounds like they're going to be the crews for the season. A lot of people are complaining. Are they people? Like, are they people that you know? They're not people. They're people who are in the game and around the game as broadcasters in some form, but are not like... This is not like um, Amazon hiring... Al Michaels to do Thursday night football. Right. This is sort of up and coming okay. people. They didn't like bring in some legend and everyone's they like, didn't wow, bring in they, they didn't person. bring in the heroes. They're, right. they're, they're, they're the the announcers are not the headliners here, right? Which I think might might be a part of this. Although I think part of it too is it's MLB Network doing the hiring and um, they're hiring people to do work for them, including Apple stuff. Like that's like like the uh, lead announcer on the first game. Um, she is, she does TV work for the Orioles, but she also now is going to be the lead announcer for one of these games. And she's going to do some studio work for MLB network. So there's like, they're her employer for that, including this, this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I thought, um, one of the criticisms that, that, um, that she handled really well is about local announcers. Cause, uh, and I, Melanie, I forget her last name. Um, she tweeted on Friday and she said, I, I'm so happy that I'm going to be doing these Friday night baseball games and working for MLB network. And I told my mom and dad who are Mets fans that I was doing the game tonight. And their response was, I'm sad that the usual guys aren't going to do it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and, and this is truth, right? Like people love their local announcers. I'm a giants fan over the weekend. You know, the season started turn on the TV Mike Kruko, Dwayne Kuyper, their voices, so reassuring. 
Like it's oh now it's it's not just the team, it's not just the the logos, it's the announcers. People have a bond with their local announcers, and by doing an exclusive national and international broadcast, that that there are no local TV broadcasters for that game. You are boxing out the fans who like to hear their local people. And so her tweet, Melanie's tweet, was really good because she was like, yeah, even my parents are going to miss um, Ron and, oh, I forget who the other announcers. Anyway, they're going to they're gonna miss them. It's like, because of course they are. So uh, I think that's a good criticism. I, I, would, I, I know they're not going to do this, but part of me wants to say, you know, another way you could silence the criticism, MLB's app lets you overlay the local radio call on the video. If you want to do that, it's it's kind of amazing, right? You can be like watching the watching the local TV, but if you prefer the radio announcers, you can flip it over to the radio announcers and listen to them instead. And I thought, you know, I know you want your announcers to be at the fore, but one way you could blunt some of the criticism and say, look, if you're a fanatical Mets fan, you can turn on the Mets radio at least and hear somebody who's rooting for the Mets instead of trying to provide this national perspective, which is just sort of how these games, they're national and international, right? These these games are meant to broaden the appeal of baseball and reach people who are not just the fans of the two teams playing. And that means they need to tell stories you've already heard before and have more banter among the people in the booth. And people are complaining about it. Like, I, I, I agree that modern baseball broadcasts on things like ESPN have tended to become a podcast that is happening with a baseball game going on in the background. And there's definitely a level of that that's too much where like they don't even care what's happening. They're just having a conversation. They're bringing in guests to interview and stuff like that. At least they didn't do that on the uh, Apple broadcast. Uh, you can go too far down that path, but they're not if you're a Mets fan and you're watching that Mets Nationals game they're not making it for you right they're not making it for you they're making it for a broader audience and you just it's just like if you watched if your team was on uh Sunday Night Baseball or uh, or a, a Fox game of the week or back in the day the NBC game of the week like it wasn't your announcers and they weren't talking to you they're talking to the broader audience and that's just one of the the truths of something like this is it's going to be like that um but I do, to take it back, whether they do the audio overlay or not, which I think would be fun and like kind of easy and just you're, you're, you're saying, look, if you really hate it, you can flip to your local audio. It would be a fun techni- technological solution. And that's my other complaint, other than it all seems very generic. And I know that this happened quickly, but that I think Apple needs to prod their producers to do better and make it more unique. And I think that the the ad clutter is part of that. Um the other part of it is the technical side, which is, well, first off, you can't, you couldn't pause it on Apple TV, which is also true of Apple's live stream events, by the way, which mm. is a little bit strange. Um, but for, for a baseball game, like, say you get home and, and the game's been on for an hour, you want to start at the beginning of the game if you're a fan and then go through the commercials and catch up eventually. Um, you can't do that now. That seems like a mistake. They need to work on that technology. And then there's also nothing interactive going on. Like I talked about the the graphics that are burned into the screen, but like this is a digital broadcast. Everybody watching it is watching it on a computer device of some kind, right? I'm I I think they really need to look into ways to push that too. Like if I want to see different overlays, Maybe I should be able to do that. If I want like the live stats overlay at the bottom, or if I want the crazy betting stuff, whatever, it would be fun if I had some options to do stuff like that. And currently, uh, it's a really vanilla um, live stream. 
So I hope that Apple pushes on the tech side. I accept the fact that this deal has probably only been finalized for a few weeks and that they had to take a bunch of stuff off the shelf and and make their choices about what they were going to do. But um, in the long run, I think whoever at Apple is in charge of this and whoever at MLB Network is in charge of producing it need to work together. Um, and it depends on how much Apple as the client can demand changes and what's in the contract. But though I think it was a good broadcast and I think it will improve and it looks like they spent a lot of money on it. Look great. Lots of cameras, good announcers who are going to get better, even though they're not your favorite local announcers. But that's the one that I would put up there is it doesn't feel different enough. It feels disconcertingly like a generic MLB network broadcast at points. And I think that that's where Apple needs to push and say, okay, now that we've gotten to this point next week, we're going to do this to make it better. And, and, and some of that's on Apple, right? Apple's going to have to do some work on the live stream and, and, and to see if you can start from the beginning um, in the TV app. And if they want to do overlays, they've got to build that stuff in too. They've got to have a data stream for that. The MLB app has it, but Apple's TV app doesn't have it. So it's all, there's a lot for it to get better, but in the end, yeah. it wasn't a disaster. It was a professionally produced broadcast that looked good, had lots of cameras, lots of announcers. There was a lot positive to be said, but it, it I think it also, I hope very much that it is a starting point for them and not the, the end point for the whole season. Cause that would be unfortunate. This episode is brought to you by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical snafu while shopping online? Has filling out payment fields given you a headache? Has a mobile banking app ever been down when you wanted to use it? Capital One believes everyone deserves better banking. This means easier access to their money and more security. That's why Capital One is investing in machine learning. Because machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud with random forests, models that quickly detect suspicious activity and make it faster to alert federal investigators. They identify how mobile app outages happen with causal models to keep their mobile app up and running. This doesn't happen by accident. Anomaly detection and incident response help determine why app outages happen so engineers can quickly remedy them. Capital One speed up online shopping and machine learning at the edge. They make shopping of virtual card numbers smoother and more secure. This technology is based on logistic regression models and running inference in the browser. This identifies payment fields. This is what helps making using virtual card numbers easier and faster, which is great for everyone. The potential of machine learning is so big. See how Capital One is using machine learning to create the future of banking. Search machine learning at Capital One. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Our thanks to Capital One for their support of this show and Relay FM. That's some hashtag ask upgrade questions to finish out today's episode. The first comes from Ryan. In the next five years, which do you think Apple is more likely to do to the Magic Mouse? A. A new industrial design, a la the new Apple remote. B. Leave it exactly as it is right now. Or C. Discontinue it altogether. More likely to do. And I'm going to go with B, leave it as it is only because Five i think years. that I, I i only because i think that how long has it already been out it's been out forever 
I think it's an inertia thing. It's like, do is there a new problem that they can solve? I mean, yeah, undoing the charger on the bottom would be a great thing. But like, is there anybody inside Apple? I don't know. I've met people who work on the uh, input devices team. Uh, they care about this stuff. But I wonder if there is really a really will at Apple to do a new hardware design for a mouse. Like, it, it, I, I think the trackpad is favored by people at Apple. I think that they feel they need to offer a mouse, but are they really going to do it? Like, if I had to pick most likely, I think status quo is most likely. I would love to see them redo it, I guess. I don't care. I don't use a mouse. I, I literally don't care about this product, but um, I know that it is... Uh, the butt of many jokes because of where you have to charge it and it's a it's a lightning port and are they eventually going to move off the lightning port um but you know i don't know if i had to choose and if i especially if i had to put money on it i, I would go with inertia i would go with b that just nothing will change and it will be sold forever what about you so i think a new industrial redesign is the least likely and then yeah. I'm trying to work out, do I think leave it as is or just discontinue it? Now, I think they got to offer a mouse, though. I think they got to offer people a mouse do who they? want a mouse because people I mean, use mice. I think they do because they buy a mouse. They, but they bundle it with they bundle it with with their computers. See, that's the trick. If they didn't include a mouse or a trackpad or a keyboard with their computers, I think they could just kill it. But they do. They do include yeah, it. Yeah, but they could just say, "We give you a trackpad." They could. That's what we give. I don't you. think. I mean, they could. I, I, I think that they feel like they have to offer the mouse as an option, but, you know, yeah, they could. They could be like, no, mice are old school. We are all about the trackpad now. Because they really are all about the trackpad, right? Like, yes. They really are. And yeah, I will just say, if you have a Mac and have never used a trackpad, do yourself a favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're using the magic mouse. Now, look, I'm not going to, I don't care about the charging, right? Whatever. And I'm sure that the the track the magic mouse is good because it has some of the gesture support built in. But that magic mouse is an absolute travesty of ergonomics. It is terrible. Uh, I I don't understand how people use it in long term because it is just not a comfortable thing to hold in your hand. You want something that can be more molded. Uh, I think that you know my pick of it is the previously mentioned Logitech MX Master Three. That's my favorite mouse. I have a bunch of them. I use them. I've been using it for years. Um, but yeah, I I think maybe if I had to put money on it like you, I would say they're just going to leave it. But I would also say it's very close to me. Like my, my gut says that they would just get rid of it. But I do think you can't bet against inertia sometimes. Yeah. We're a bit we're we're up in the in the sky today. We're in the conceptual land. So we have another question like this from Tony. Tony wants, what is the next mistake on the level of killing the Mac Pro that you could see Apple making with the Apple Silicon processor transition? Now I'll give a bit more context in case this didn't make complete sense. So if you remember during the in towards the end of the Intel uh, era, um, you know they just I think had the, it was like five year anniversary of this. We just talk about and connected. Um, the this is when Apple had kind of made their decision that they were going to be getting rid of the Mac Pro, replacing it with the iMac Pro, right? Then realized people were very unhappy in general right. at the moment. And then so at the same time said, hey, we're making this iMac Pro, which was very clearly the replacement, but also we're going to make a new Mac Pro. And like this was like a, a, a clearly a decision that they had made that set a course of action that when they reverted that transition... Like that, so that that course of action, we got to where we are now. So it's like a pretty pivotal point. 
So can you imagine, do you have any kind of thought on what a huge mistake or a, a mistake that they could make during the Apple Silicon era that could cause this kind of uh, going off the rails? Yeah, my, I mean, it's hard to imagine something as far off the rails as what they were, right? Especially like, what, considering what would, they'd already done it, right? Like, right, I mean, know, it's going to be in recent memory. Because I could make I could make a ridiculous thing that they won't do, but if they did it, it would be on this level, right? And so that would be something like they decide that their new laptops are going to have a second screen where the keyboard was and it's going to be a touch screen right and it will be yeah. a keyboard but it can mm-hmm. be other stuff too and it's going to be like this great foldable design and there are no physical keys on it and that would be on the level of what they did not with the killing of the mac pro but with the butterfly keyboard right but i, don't think I, could, I could actually argue as well that the macbook was as bad because it set this chain of events for the laptop line which people rallied against yeah although i like the macbook and the keyboard is was understandable on the macbook but the problem was that then apple was like great we'll put it everywhere which by the way that's a little bit of an echo of the center stage camera on the studio display right where apple takes a a a a part designed for a particular purpose and falls so in love with their clever engineering that they put it everywhere, including maybe places it shouldn't have gone. Very similar, little harmony there. But I'm not going to say that the camera on the studio display is the answer to this question either because it has nothing to do with the processor transition. Here's my answer. Never, ever, ever making an iMac better than bigger than the this 24-inch iMac. Missing that market. I think is I think would be a huge mistake. I think it would be a mistake on the same level as the Mac Pro, which is here is here is a user base that wants this product that has spent a decade liking this product and um no, we will not make an iMac at 27 inches or or greater. We we just won't. Get the 24 or uh or too bad. Buy an external display and, an, and another computer and do that instead. And I, I think that would be a mistake. I think they would be turning their back on uh, a big part of their last decade of Mac sales. Um, I I believe they're not going to do that and they're just biding their time. But um, I would say that that would be the um, something happening to one of their products uh, in defiance of user desires that would be a uh, uh, big mistake for them and i don't i agree that's a really great one it's better than anything i was going to come up with the 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 thing that i was wondering with this question is like what if a mistake that they make is what is the new mac pro like what if they just completely whiff on it again i don't know yeah yeah i mean no that's a good one is is what if they make a new mac pro Again, they 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 say that now they're listening. They've got their they've got their people in house. They're listening to pro customers. It's hard to look at the Mac Studio and not think, well, they must have an exact idea of who the Mac Pro is for, because the Mac Studio fulfills so many of the needs. So it's like, what is that, and how do they execute on it? And and you're right in terms of the processor transition. Like, what is their vision for like what not only what a Mac Pro is, but like what they can do with a Mac Pro given their processor architecture. And it's possible that the compromises that they may have to make because of their processor architecture will be looked at by the potential buyers of the Mac Pro. And they'll be like, yeah, no, 
like, no, you, I get why you did it this way. This is not giving us what they want, mm-hmm. uh, what we want. Sorry, I'm being them in this scenario. This is not giving us what we want. We need this. I know that why you can't do it because of Apple Silicon, but we need it. And you didn't give it to us. And they end up sort of saying, we got to stick with Intel for the time being because you you didn't do it. Like, I, I, I would like to think that they won't do that. But the truth is, there are going to be some compromises in the Mac Pro where I think people are going to say, oh, why did they do it this way? And the, and the answer is going to be, well, Apple Silicon. This is how they built their whole architecture. And they might try to get there eventually, but like, I, are they going to undercut the whole direction of Apple Silicon for one computer that's used by a tiny fraction of their audience? And so th- that is, you know, and that's actually why I mentioned the iMac is because I think that there's just a much larger iMac, a larger audience for a larger iMac, and it will offend more users. Uh, more Mac customers than um, than the Mac Pro, but you know they they could botch the Mac Pro. I, I wouldn't even say botch. I think it. I think the Mac Pro being un unpleasantly received by that audience, if it happens, it will be a function of the limitations and the philosophy of of the Apple Silicon processors themselves mm. right that it will emerge from the choices apple has made on the iphone and the ipad and now on the mac building this processor system with all this stuff that's integrated and you look at the mac pro and you're like well you gotta unravel a bunch of that right like you gotta you gotta your advantages elsewhere like our disadvantages now because you've got we've got to use your gpus and you know what is the what is the memory story and all of that i think that's where they they risk angering the mac pro audience but my money's on the 27 inch darren wants to know jason if you were making the 20 max list today I don't know. Well, let's say you're in 22 Max or 2022, right? <laughs> so you've never done Macs. 20 Max, right? Let's just imagine you've never done that yeah. list. You're doing it today. Would any of the Apple Silicon Macs make the list? I would have to. So, you know, the whole purpose of 20 Max or 2020 was sort of tell stories about different eras in the Mac. So I would have to pick an Apple Silicon Mac so I could tell the story of Apple Silicon, which we've mm-hmm. all just lived through. But, you know, keeping an eye toward history, that would be the thing that I would do. Which one I would pick? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would probably pick the 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 MacBook Pro. Because it would allow me to tell the whole story about, like, the butterfly keyboard and the ports complaints yeah, it would let me talk about Apple Silicon, but also talk about it in the in the sense of not just the M1, but the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, and the questions about whether Apple was going to be able to execute with its processors at a high enough level that it would please professional customers. So that's probably what I would choose is one of those MacBook Pros because there's a lot of stories to tell about what happened with laptops in the late 2010s as well as the Apple Silicon transition. That would be a pretty meaty topic. So I think that would be the one that would maybe best encompass it. And it's got, you know, it's got the notch. It's got the, yeah. the uh, mini LED backlight. Like there's some interesting things that are new technologically. Yeah. It doesn't have the touch bar, so it lets me tell the touch bar story. Like there, that would be like a three-parter about that. There's so much embedded in that one computer that, um, that would be uh, worth telling. So so yeah, I would probably choose that one. Not my list, but that's what I would have gone with too. Like if I was choosing, it would be out of the iMac because because of the way it looks. 
um, and the MacBook Pro because I feel like the first ones they're not as interesting, um, except for the fact that they are historic. But it's they're not yeah. as interesting. But yeah. I, I think if it was my list, I would settle where you had too, where the MacBook Pro is the most advanced, right? Um, and it, you know, even going back to your review, right? A Mac Pro in my backpack, like that alone makes it exciting enough to talk about, right? So I think that there's a a, a lot of a lot of a lot to say there, and and I wouldn't be surprised that if you were doing that list today, you would pick that, right? Like it just feels like a good one to pick. I think that would be, yeah, I think that would be it. And Jonah asks, why aren't you talking about Severance? Well, Severance on Apple TV Plus is a TV show that I started watching late and didn't finish until last night. So that's why we haven't been talking about Severance. Uh, And I have watched it in the last week. Uh, But we are going to talk about Severance on Upgrade Plus. This is what they call vertical integration. Go to getupgradeplus.com. And if you sign up, not only will you get longer ad-free versions of every single episode of Upgrade, you will also get to hear us talk about Severance. We're going to talk about that in today's Upgrade Plus segment. Uh, Thank you to everybody that has signed up. If you haven't, you really should. There's a lot of great stuff in Upgrade Plus, and you also get access to our Discord and tons of other uh, members-only stuff, including uh, I would give a little plug here for Backstage. This is a show that me and Steven do every single month. It's in the Relay FM crossover feed. Um, previously, Backstage was like a, hey, do you want to start a podcast of your own? We'll tell you how to do it. Backstage now is very much like, what is going on at Relay FM? What are we thinking about? Um, what are we talking about? What are me and Stephen trying to do with our podcasting company? And so if that kind of stuff interests you, uh, I recommend checking out Backstage, which you get for being a Relay FM member, no matter what you support. And if you support Upgrade, we have Upgrade Plus, you get access to it. GetUpgradePlus.com. Thanks to Capital One and Electric and Trade for their support of this week's episode. Of course, thank you for listening. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com. He is at jsnell on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. Apple results are coming up. Is it like two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. Can't wait. You know I love it. Can't wait. I I know. It's your favorite thing. Favorite thing? uh, Thursday the 28th is the Apple results. So May 2nd, get ready for some chart talk right here. Chart time. Chart time with Jason and Mike. Everybody's Mm -hmm. favorite show. Mike's favorite show. Uh, I am at iMike. I am Y-K-E. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Jason Snell.